0: On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Kim Lewis from Curlmix. Man, what an amazing conversation and quite the journey that she had. She pivoted three times and I'll tell you, this last pivot has been absolutely astounding. Uh, you guys are going to want to hear this story, get a pen and paper out. Uh, she was just an absolutely unreal guest. I love having people on who are smarter and farther ahead than me, and she was definitely one of those. Before we begin, we wanted to let you know some really exciting news and something that we've never talked about before in the podcast. Our team at Mindful Marketing is growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. Now, on to today's episode. All right, we are live. I am here with Kim Lewis from CurlMix. Welcome to Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we had the, one of those conversations at the beginning where, like, I know it's going to be a good interview when I'm like, oh, man, okay, we got to actually start recording here. Or we're just going to, like, chat the whole time. So, <laughs> so Kim, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: I'm Kim, CEO and co-founder of Chromix. Chromix is where we make clean beauty uh, very simple, uh, with rituals and routines for our customers. Um, our primary products is like wash and go products. So we hope women get the best wash and go ever. If you're watching this on video, you know that like my hair is like in a wash and go state, but if you don't know what a wash and go is, it's basically when your hair is wet and curly, but it dries that way. And so it still looks really defined once your hair is dry and you walk out the house.
0: Okay. So you like, don't have to do anything to it after.
1: Right. exactly, Exactly. Oh,
0: that's a that's amazing. I mean, I'm. If you're watching on video as well, you know, like I probably don't have that same sort of issue. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So I myself, I have curly hair. Uh, we work on wavy, curly, and kinky textures as well.
0: Okay, cool. That's awesome. That's great. So tell me, how did this business get started? Like, where where did you start out, and and kind of where did you get to, or where where are you now?
1: So Chromex started actually. I, it kind of started with my first business, which is a social network for natural hair. And then I did that for about oh. two years. Um, and tell tell us a little
0: bit about that, a social network for curly hair.
1: So if you know <laughs> anything about niche social networks is that they don't work. Right. And so, you know, if you're going to start one, it's it's not going to make you very much money. Um, but in doing that, I learned um, the the, necess- the need for content. Right. Why people do content and the importance of it. I made a lot of connections in the natural hair industry. So people have hair like mine. Yeah. I also um, picked up skills with like design and photography and just I kind of learned a whole lot, but just didn't make a lot of money. So exactly. the next thing I decided to do is like I'm going to make money on day one before. um when we start, because I'm not going to spend two years of something and not make anything. Yeah. And then we started a, de- a do-it-yourself box for curly hair. So that was more so like Blue Apron, but for hair, right? Oh, so okay, cool. The, we would send you all the raw
0: materials to yeah. make the products. Is this, said, Kim, can I, can I step in for a sec? Is this like a big issue? Like, is, is it very difficult to find like good products for curly hair?
1: Yeah, so at the time, curly hair women had been ignored in the market period, right? Mm-hmm. So we, there were only really products of women who had, like, straight, wavy hair. And so we were trying to find our way into that um, narrative, if you will. But a lot yeah. of products didn't serve us. They would either, like, strip our hair, dry our hair out, or it would have, like, lots of silicones and parabens, things that would kind of coat the hair and prevent it from getting water. And water's the most important thing in our hair regimen. Okay. So cool. we weren't in the marketing on the shelves. So many of us took to YouTube. And we follow YouTube vloggers who are making their own products at home. So they would go right. to Whole Foods, buy shea butter, et cetera. And then they would come home, mess with their kitchens, and they've spent a couple hundred dollars on products or raw materials to make products for themselves. And they sometimes wouldn't love them. Mm-hmm. And I was doing that, and I told my and I would, my husband would get upset because I would like leave the kitchen in a total mess. Yeah. And so and he was the one who cooked. So then I was like, if somebody would put this in a box for me, that would be wonderful. Um, and so that's when we launched Curl Mix, and we did that for about two years. And we didn't see a whole lot of success with that. Um, okay. I think we well,
0: what time. was the, Go ahead. I, like, like, did you have any reasons? you think that you didn't see success with that at first or?
1: Oh yeah. Lots of different things. It was like novelty, not necessity. So basically it was a, you know how they say it, it's a vitamin, not a painkiller. Like, mm. you know, the names of your, your painkillers your child knowledge or leaves, but it was just fun to do. Right. So our best customers started to unsubscribe and they were still buying other haircare products at the store. So that's how we knew we kind of didn't, it wasn't really working. Um, And that's when we pivoted to the Chromex that we know today, which is our four-step wash and go system. It started with our flaxseed gel. It was our best-selling box. And we turned that box and pivoted into a full um, hair care line. So we started with the flaxseed gel, our best-selling box, and then our moisturizer, then our body brother, and then our serum. Um, And for a while, we had those four products. And then we turned it into a system just before we appeared on Shark Tank. Uh, and that is a system that you can currently go to the website and buy now. It was basically customer engineered.
0: Cool, cool. When did you guys go on Shark Tank? Uh,
1: we filmed, Mar- well, it aired March 2019, so last year.
0: Oh, gotcha. Have you had re-airings since?
1: Oh, yeah, plenty.
0: plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, like I was telling you before we started recording, we've got a few clients um, who were on Shark Tank, and uh, and it's like we want to know every time before, because there is such a massive influx of customers that come. They, they just sold out one of our clients. Like they sold out of basically all their styles right there with a re-airing on Shark Tank during the summer. Like, Oh, really?
1: How well? Um, how much of an increase is it for them when the episode airs?
0: Oh man, I don't know traffic wise, but like, I mean, in the thousands of percent, right? Higher. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, right?
1: So, gotcha. Very cool.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So before we started uh, recording here, we were talking about pivoting. Can you tell me, a few of your pivots and 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 tell me a little bit about that
1: yes so i would like to say we've pivoted three times right so the first time was that niche social network where i didn't have a revenue model right yeah. um or really a product that i could sell regularly and make money from every single day um and then and so we pivoted to more of a product-based business then we were doing the diy boxes for about two years um and we found out that it wasn't working and i yeah. still had six months of content lined up so boxes planned Photos taken, everything, and we like threw it all out the window when we realized it wasn't working. Mm. And what we ended up doing, and we found out what was working before we threw it out the window, right? So, um, the flaxseed gel, it was our best selling box. And I had gotten pregnant around the time that we were pivoting, and I was like, you know what? If this doesn't work. I'm just going to have to go back and get a job. And my advisor was like, well, what's your best selling box? I'm like, it's our flaxseed gel, but no manufacturer will make it for us. We went to about three different ones. This is 2017, right? Mid year okay. 2017. And he was like, we'll just figure it out. And I was like what, like, what do you mean figure it out? If the manufacturers won't make it, why am I doing it? It's not going to, to scale. And he yeah. was like, "You know, I know someone who's carbonated tea before and everyone told her she couldn't do it and she figured it out. So I think you can figure out how to make flaxseed gel yeah. on a large scale. Flaxseed gel, literally you have to boil the seeds, like, you, like real flaxseeds, boil up the okay. seeds and extract the gel. Okay. And that makes the hair product. We did, I spent a month in my kitchen making 50 different batches of flaxseed gel. Yeah. And in those 50 different batches of flaxseed gel, every time I leave the house, somebody would say, your hair looks amazing. They would flag me down the street while cars are driving and say, what is in your hair? So we launched our customer base very small at the time. Because um, remember, we're not even more than 100,000 really in sales.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: we sold, at the time we were maybe doing a couple hundred orders a month, right? Okay. Uh, we sold 100 orders in a matter of like an hour like when we launched it and I was like oh my
0: god so you knew there was like a need it's like holy cow I'm not the only one (laughs) why you knew that I mean you knew that from your previous like from the the social network idea and like like you knew that there was a need out there
1: yes and so then we launched it the next day and then sold another hundred and I was like oh my gosh I was like this is what people want they don't want a social network to talk to each other about their hair they don't want DIY boxes for their hair they want us to make this flaxseed gel for them. So we put it the entire business that next year. And that next year, we end up making about a million dollars in sales.
0: Um, wow, what a jump, learn? Hey, That's yeah, amazing. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I hope people who are listening right now who aren't quite there yet um, here, I feel like there's some like really good advice and wisdom here. Um, and, and I am a huge proponent of quitting, right? Mm. And I think that that is just like... Super, super important. It's something that people don't do enough of. And you're calling it pivoting. I'll just like, I think sometimes you just got to be blunt and like call it quitting. Like you got to quit these things that aren't working. If they're not after like three or four months, like going like crazy, stop it. Just stop, go do something else, right? Like like pivot. So I mean, this is great. This is great advice.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so we pivoted at the top of that year and we became a traditional e-commerce company. So we weren't doing the subscription anymore, traditional e-commerce. Cool. Uh, and then we started offering subscriptions on those products that were individual, right? Yeah. And then the next year, we introduced a shampoo and conditioner and made it a full four-step system.
0: Cool, And now cool. We, I know.
1: Did about, we did about 5.5 million that year.
0: Okay, awesome, awesome. Wow, that's great. That's a, that's huge growth. So you went 100,000 in revenue, you went a million, and then you went to five point five.
1: Yes. yes.
0: What What systems broke? Because that's all a, yeah. <laughs> that's a massive, massive jump.
1: Yes, there all of them. I mean, um, I would say from one hundred thousand to a million. Right? We had a bunch of, for it was we didn't really have full time employees. Right? So totally. we had a bunch totally. of contractors. that's a difficult uh,
0: jump. Just so everybody yeah. knows, in a business, right? Like going up yeah. to that to that million mark, that is just a difficult. There's so many systems you need to create along, along yes. the line. I,
1: I had to remove myself from pretty much everything except marketing. Mm. So my I had to find someone to help make the products, right? Because uh, when we first, at the top of that year, I was still making it. My husband, he saw that we had gotten to 30000 in monthly revenue and he quit his job. Okay. He worked for the company. And then he was making the products. But he... It was hard having somebody who had just as much power as me in the kitchen, right, making the product because he would kind of decide to do things that, the way he wanted to do them. I'm like, ah, they like they need to be done this way specifically when yeah. you're making products. So <laughs> that was tough, but we ended up bringing in a family member who we trained, and she became our primary product maker. And so then it was his job to kind of label and ship everything out, and then I was still doing all the marketing and whatnot. And then we brought in more people right around, uh, just before Shark Tank aired. Um, yeah. Not before you, before we went to go film. And more people to help make the product and package and ship the products. Um, and then he kind of had more of an operations function and I was managing the admin side of the team. By the time Shark Tank aired, we had maybe 10 contractors, I wanna say, and my husband and myself. And we raised 1.2 million in um, funding from the CEO of LinkedIn and oh. partners. So we ended up it, it being like a really good. It was a really good
0: time for business for sure. And sorry, and he has, and, and, sorry is he on Shark Tank? No.
1: Oh, he okay. He's a connection I made through Backstage Capital. Backstage Capital. Um, they gave us our first check ever for about twenty five thousand dollars. Um, uh, back when we pivoted our business, right? Yeah, so if yeah. yeah. To go from one hundred thousand to a million, that was the only check we got to get to that million in revenue um and but by the time we got it we spent so much of our own money that it went to really good use and we made we knew exactly what to put it into Yeah. And we used it by like machinery and to get our up uh, our down payment on the manufacturing facility we were moving into and etc and oh, cool so um, are you
0: are you fully like vertically integrated then like you guys almost,
1: are- almost so we don't make our own like bottles right but oh, like we that, do that. manufacture our own products and yeah. we do package and label our own products and then we um we ship everything ourselves as well, and our marketing team is for the most part in-house. Um, and so there's some small things that we outsource, but for the most part, currently we have 35 people on our team.
0: Amazing, amazing, Thank you. wow, Thank you. that's incredible. I'm always um, astounded by companies um, that vertically integrate like that. Um, we're trying with our clothing company right now. We're definitely trying to look at doing that through acquisitions right now um because it's very difficult (laughs) it's difficult what what, what kind of acquisitions are
1: you looking for we actually just acquired like our first brand this year so that's super exciting but what are you what acquisitions are you looking into
0: well on that on the non-vertical um sort of side we're also looking at some other brands um that we want like complementary brands so we're in the baby niche um so Mm -hmm. we want to look at some complementary brands we're fully um uh, down the apparel road. And so we want to look into, um, some partnerships on the, you know, like baby books side, um, and like accessories and, um, perhaps being able to then put together like a box. Um, just, just be able to offer um, more of that sort of stuff rather than just straight apparel. Straight apparel is amazing. Um, we're, it's definitely our superpower right now. And then we'd love to vertically integrate having, um, owning our manufacturing instead of, um, cause we do manufacture everything in Canada. Um, so, it is possible for us to do that. Um, it's just a big, uh, that's a huge step. So, I, I, I just think it's incredible what you've done. I love um, talking to people who are smarter and are further along than me, and you are one of them, Kim.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I think manufacturing is the hardest thing to do, but ultimately, in the, at the end of it all, it's the cheapest thing to do. I mean, upfront, absolutely not. You know, it's like, there's, you know, this month we're probably gonna invest a hundred thousand into machinery. And we, wow. we're moving into a new, a new kitchen that's five times the size of our current kitchen. So um, there are definitely some costs and risks associated with it. Yeah. However, having that control in and, and moments like the pandemic, right? Where everyone who's ordering things from China are, mm-hmm. are cured, right? Because, you know, they can't get it. They've, their factories have been closed for months. And so they're literally not making things until the next year. So what is it like to be out of inventory for six months? It's crazy, oh, right?
0: I mean, that, that can ruin your business.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right. it definitely can. Or when you know um, Trump changes the laws, and then the taxes on imports from China oh, totally. are twenty percent higher than that. You then when you place the purchase order, you know then you're adding and you are ordering a hundred thousand dollars in merchandise. Now it's twenty thousand dollars in taxes, and yeah. so yeah. Those, so it, it's beneficial to manufacture in-house, stateside, when things like that happen.
0: That's cool. I love that. I, love it. I Actually, I don't think I've ever had a conversation about manufacturing um, within your country. So, like, we're in Canada, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and manufacturing is not a huge part of our economy, but I feel like it's kind of starting to. One of my best friends is actually building a shoe factory right now. Mm, um, very cool, very cool. Yeah, which is super cool. It's like something we haven't had in Canada, like, on a large scale for, like, a long time. And, I mean, he's starting a fairly small scale, but... Um, they're moving all of their shoe manufacturing from China over here. And it's just sure. it's so cool to see. Like also on a, like a local level, it's just super cool. Like, wow, you're making shoes in my hometown? Right. Like how?
1: <laughs> exactly. No, that, and we actually, we manufacture here on the west side of Chicago. So it's actually, it's not like it's like in a rural type of area. We manufacture here in the city and create jobs in the city
0: oh that's so cool that is so cool um hey let's talk marketing since you're you're uh, a marketing person um yeah. what's, what's I wasn't doing
1: email marketing until we made a million in sales by the way so i'm like i've done so much in the business but just for context
0: yeah i have to say my we're we're uh you know i mean we're, we're not at your level of revenue but my wife is still doing e- the email marketing she won't give it up I'm like, oh my gosh. And then we have an agency that does like a lot of stuff on the e-commerce side, right? And she still wants to do it.
1: Well, that's not a way that we're me, vertically integrated. For me, I was doing it, but I remember one month I was out talking to investors and it was December, right? And the, the month prior, we had done 243000 for like uh, Black Friday. It was our first like really big month. Oh, nice. And next month, was december and i was out fundraising and talking to investors and like when i couldn't send an email we didn't make money and and i'm like man i probably missed out on fifty thousand dollars in revenue yeah, because i yeah, could not yeah. send the emails and i was like this is a problem i think in that 60 day within when i realized that it's december one i started scouring the internet for an email marketer who could talk to my customer and yeah. she was hired within like three months and i was just like because i can't I need, the, I need the business not to be, um, it's success to be hinging on, on whether or not I can sit at my desk that's in the email. Like that's not, you know, I just feel like that was not so the best like, thing for me. Um, and so we hire someone immediately after.
0: Kim, let's let's t- let's dive into this for a second. Founders and CEOs, because that's who listens to this podcast for the most part. From all the reach outs that I've gotten, I just had a. Hey guys, just a reminder from the beginning of the episode. Our team at Mindful Marketing is growing, and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we are only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply to start the process today. Now, back to today's episode. Phone call before this, founder, CEO of a seven-figure e-com company. For those of you who are out there, your role is to raise capital, number one, if you need to raise capital right? And be the face of the company. Um, uh, Be the face, be out there. Your role is not to make the products, right? Your role is not to do all the marketing. Um, You will never be able to grow. I mean, you know what, maybe there's companies that grow into eight figures doing this, but you can't grow beyond that. Like I I, I have to say, um, you need to step out of the way and hire people to do that stuff. Oh, no, do you have any other thoughts on that too, Kim? <laughs> or am um, I just, I, I feel like I'm preaching it right now. You know, like,
1: <laughs> I think that what, what I've heard in the past is that a business lot rises to the level of the incompetence of the founder. So if the founder, yes, I
0: love that. My, my dad, my dad talks about that too. Like I've, I've totally heard that phrase and I love it.
1: And I, and, and for me, it's not so much that like, you know, you need, I, when i say it when, when we say it and when we phrase it in a way where it's like you need to stop making product it makes it feel like like the job is beneath like the founder right no and, totally I don't no. Want get, and so for me yeah. for me it's more like i've done every job in the company i've done everybody's job you know and so it's like and for me i feel like in some ways you almost have to, to know how to teach it right so you have to have done it to be able to teach it and to create a process around it so that you can then because the goal is so that you can create the job, fill the job, and then you move on to the next job. Right. And yeah. so for me right now, it's like, yeah, I want to be the face of the company and yeah, I want to be, you know, we want raising money, but we don't have an HR department. And we have 35 people on our yeah. team. Yeah. And so now, so right now my job is kind of more in HR. Right. Yeah. Um, And what I'm trying to do is build a company that is stable without me. So that if I die tomorrow, they, everybody's still employed.
0: You know, everyone yeah. still
1: has a job. Everyone still can feed their families. And, and that's ultimately my goal. Because I think what I found is that it's not the money that m- brings me joy for what I do. It's the people that I work for, which is my team. You know, I feel like I work yeah. for them. I, I, and especially now, my days are filled with meetings with them because they want to know, Kim, what's your vision? What do you envision for this, this, this process, this, this goal? You know, what should we be doing to get there? And so I, f- I feel like I've, that's more of the vibe or the energy that I, uh, the, the way that I look at it. Um, and when when founders are stuck doing the things um, that make the company run, the company is only limited to what the founder can do. And that means that that's going to limit how much your people can earn, you know, because you can't pay them more. it's yeah. um, yeah, so going yeah. when limit the growth of the company, um, it's just going to be a limiting factor all the way around. And so, to, to me, when founders won't get out the way, it's like you're hurting yourself, but also everybody else that you work that works for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Kim, you said it so much better than I could have. <laughs>
1: thank you. Uh, thank you.
0: Yesterday, yesterday, one of my uh, one of my friends, who is also the founder of uh, an e-learning company, I saw um, a post from him on LinkedIn, um, and he said, um, "Anytime uh, he won't hire somebody who he doesn't think can eventually surpass him." I was mm-hmm. like, "Whoa! Now there's a way to hire people." Like, and there's, and there's some humility in that too, right? Thinking that like, you are not necessarily, you know, the be all end all. You've just worked hard, right?
1: <laughs> and my thing about that is I like to hire people who are, I think, well, I like to hire from the highest position and then build the departments around that person. Mm. So for me, we have a um, executive team, right? I have a CFO, I have a CMO, I have a chief customer officer, um, I have a COO, right? um and we built teams basically we, we hired each of them first and then built the team under them after that um cool. and, to, and it means you are end up paying more money up front to some of these people right like six figure salaries but um honestly they're really great generalists and they can do the job of maybe three to five people depending yeah. on the person. Yeah. um and you just pay them well versus having to pay five people mediocre salaries and trying to manage all of them which creates more work really for the founder right because now you've added five people that you now have to manage um versus hiring one really really good person and then hiring people under them for them to manage uh, and so what I mean, that's, learned br-
0: that's brilliant <laughs> thank you like that and, and very counterintuitive to what a lot of founders uh want to do
1: yes 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 and a lot of founders kind of want to like let me that's why for me an assistant wasn't the first person i hired because for me, I didn't necessarily need um, an assistant. I needed someone who was really good at customer service because that's not my strength. Mm. I needed somebody who could replace me in marketing because, you know, I'm the one sending all the emails, which means the company's ability to make money is dependent upon me being able to send an email, which is not fair to my staff. Yeah. I um, hired someone, my husband took over operations, right? He's a, he's a people person. He's a really good manager. And then just building departments out under there. So it is a little counterintuitive than what most people do, but I, we don't have a high turnover at our company. And I think that's because we hire great people, but we also pay them well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Hey, let's talk about uh, raising funds here because you were on Shark Tank. Did, did you guys get anything from that or was that more of a good like PR sort of play?
1: We um, got an offer, but we turned it down. So Robert Herjavec offered $400,000 for 20% equity stake. Um, but it was we already had our, badness, our better alternative to negotiating an agreement which mm. meant that we didn't want to give up more than 15% of the company. And Robert would negotiate down, so we walked away. Mm. But it ended up being an excellent PR for sure. But the thing is, if you turn down a deal, you don't know if the show is going to air, right? You don't, Even if you accept the deal, you don't know if it's going to air. Um, and since that's not guaranteed, we just did it. And it's like, this is what we can honestly say, how this is what we can be truthful about and honor, right? We yeah. can honor a deal that we would just say yes to and then walk away after the fact when people aren't looking and the cameras aren't rolling.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, man, I feel like we've just got, there's, there's so much to talk about here. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about getting that, that funding. Cause I think a lot of people that listen to this are bootstrapped. Why did you go the funding route? What did, what did you need it for and why didn't you try loans? Not in an accusatory way.
1: <laughs> Just- By the time I had funding, I had tried every loan out there. So that was, you know, yeah, yeah. I had like a couple hundred thousand in debt before I got my investment. Um, for me, I was not going the funding route initially, um, and I would even, I actually wouldn't even say that I went the funding route. Right? Yes, I accepted a deal, but that was not my route. Yeah. So we got twenty five thousand dollars check from Arlen, um, a Backstage Capital. She's on the cover of Fast Company, and they invest in underrepresented founders. There was a $25,000 check, and in the grand scheme of venture capital, $25,000 is like not a lot of money. It's yeah. like it's it's like like a bill, right? It's like, oh, I hired a consultant to do X, Y, and Z for me. It was $25,000, like that's how, but for we had put so much money of our, of our own money into the business by the time we got that check, we knew exactly how to spend it. So we got that check, and then I was not pursuing funding, right? But what I was doing was keeping in contact with investors. Yeah. So I wasn't saying, hey, let me come pitch you, I would say I would add them to a mailing list, right? So just like I have my customer mailing list, I had an investor mailing list. And every month I would send them my trailing three months of revenue and my goal for the next month. And then I would say, these are my three biggest wins and these are my three biggest problems. Sometimes they would help, sometimes they wouldn't. And I did that for a full calendar year of literally emailing them every month. And I had maybe 10 to 15 people on that mailing list. And by the time I actually... So I started pitching people, maybe talking about it in December, like, oh, you know, we're raising this and that. I was not pitching before. Mm. So before, it was just purely keeping in touch, right? Um, and in December, I started pitching because we were we had filmed for Shark Tank. And I had an inkling that our episode might air, right? It was just my own intuition. I was like, I might air. If it airs, I'm going to need a couple hundred thousand in um, investment in order to be able to fill this inventory, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but again, we already made the million dollars <clears throat> in sales. So it wasn't like I was going to pitch somebody who I didn't know if I could do what I was selling. Um, And it wasn't until maybe a week before the show aired that I actually got $200,000 on a convertible note from Chef um, Wiener, CEO of LinkedIn, and one of his partners. Cool. They invested $200,000. Um, we ended up doing almost a million that month on Shark Tank uh, that for that whole month. Um, but we that's mental. A, lot that is, that
0: is a lot of sales after doing a million dollars in the whole year.
1: <laughs> it is. And that's what no one, people don't like make that connection. I'm glad you brought that out because the month prior we had done maybe 250 or whatever in sales. So the very next one to triple your business seemed like a great thing, but we were behind on orders for like a month, you know, oh, or yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It, it, you don't have the processes to do bigger batches yet. You are just so many things, right? you ramp up. And one of the things that you don't learn about Shark Tank is that you really need to ramp down. You don't need to keep spending at that same level thinking that you're going to keep it in that same level every month, right? You really should ramp down and you shouldn't scale your processes three to five X just because you're going to be on Shark Tank. But you know, lessons there, right? Um, And so after we were aired on Shark Tank, then Jeff called me back and said, hey, can we invest a million dollars? And it was because I had those conversations. I was um, introduced to Jeff by way of someone that Arlen knew. So Arlen introduced me to somebody, he introduced me to Jeff. Um, But it was that constant communication. Arlen knew I was keeping up with her for every month for the last 12 months, right? Um, It was all of that. So it was almost, most people don't do that part, right? They're like, I'm going to pitch. I'm going to get an investment. And it's like, you know, just kind of slow your roll, try to bootstrap as much as possible. And again, I said, I had taken every loan um, available to me up to this point. So I had little loans with QuickBooks, with, paypal with stripe (laughs) with you know everybody up until that point i didn't have access to capital
0: yeah yeah oh that's that's great that's that's super cool yeah because i feel like a lot of people that are listening to this don't think about that aspect of things but if you are going to ramp up that fast you probably can't get that money yourself
1: and i was on the phone with like loan sharks and all kind of stuff i have a hack though because i've taken so many of those loans if you're going to take one, right, and you let's say one loan is going to give you twenty-five thousand, but you need a hundred, if you wait and apply some loan all on the same day with all of them, you can <laughs> you can get twenty-five thousand from each person without it being on your bank statement. So oh, know, totally, that's right. If it's on your bank account from the month before, they're like, oh, well, you, you still have this outstanding loan. We can't give it to you. But if you yeah. wait until. So, Get to get them all at once from the same place. And if you wait until after like a really big month in sales, they'll give you more too, right? Because it's gonna it's based on your last 30 days of sales. So yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's hilarious. If you really need a lot, random, you know. Maybe go Black Friday inventory or something.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's good good financing hack. That's great. Hey, I gotta ask you the question we ask everybody on this podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Uh,
1: it's gonna be a little frou-frou, but relentlessness. Um, oh, you know what? Let me not say that. Honestly, it's coaching.
0: Uh, coaching. Yes. Good, 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 good. Tell me, tell me more.
1: I have, I would say three mentors slash advisors slash coaches that I meet with monthly or every other week. So I have a brand coach, one who's teaching me about branding and marketing, right? Um, She worked with companies in the multi-million, multi-eight figure, six figure, I mean, multi- Ten nine figure businesses, right? Okay.
0: okay. So yeah. Big companies.
1: Huh? <laughs> big companies. Big, big companies, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's I, I pay her also, it's not free. And then I have my advisor, he's an equity stake in the company. Not a lot, but um enough But we meet together monthly and we have for almost the last three years.
0: Mm. Do, re, do you recommend that? Business. Like giving giving somebody a little stake in your company that's like well beyond your yeah. your level? I yeah.
1: do. Oh don't know. And so to be stingy about something that is nothing yet is <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Right. Um, you know, and so and if this person is going to really help you and you trust this person. And, and my advisor has been phenomenal. He's, you know, he's one, he's, he helped coach us that million dollars. I didn't have my brand coach until after I had gotten investment after I had made a million dollars. Right. Mm. Then I could even afford her. And then I also have a mastermind that I'm part of. So my, like my community, um, which opportunities come from that or just a network and fellowship oh, or.
0: Man. Um, I I, I think it's funny. uh, Something that we haven't talked about much on this before is masterminds. And I I mean, I've seen some of my biggest wins from masterminds every single week or we do ours um, uh, twice a month. Like, oh my gosh, I would not have been able to get that without the group.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And it's something like maybe, yeah, like there's these little things. So for anyone listening to this, um, who's thinking about potentially joining a mastermind, just do it do it. It's the best, even before a coach, it's, it's the least, least, least financial commitment comparatively to hiring a coach. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, highly, highly recommend masterminds.
1: Exactly. I, I would say I, I started with my mastermind helped me get to a million. Um, and in my advisor, well, my advisor helped me to decide to pivot. My yeah. mastermind helped get me to a million as far as like tactful things that I could be doing in e-commerce. And then my brand coach, she's helping us get to eight figures. She's the one who kind of knows what these campaigns should look like or what the structure of the business should be or who I should be hiring next or yeah, totally. like how to, how to manage my employees. Like she's going to give me that kind of vision and helping me plan six months, 12 months, five years out, you know, more than what I, I'm cause your mastermind is more like peer to peer. Right. So you need yeah. that, but you need like somebody who also knows more than you as well. And then you need somebody who's like knows more in your space, but then you need somebody who's more objective too. And it's like, doesn't, you know, they, they, they're, they're looking from an investor lens from, um, how this is going to look to other people who don't know what you're doing type of lens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is great. This has been an amazing interview. I absolutely love this. Um, we're going to move on to our lightning round here. What is your favorite tool or app that you're using right now?
1: To personally to manage my life or to make money in the business or just
0: in general, in general, what's, what's your favorite? What's the first one that comes to mind?
1: The first thing that came to mind was Clavio. Um, they actually had me speak there maybe last year at the conference. And then I spoke, oh, nice. Um, there. Thank you. And we're in talks to speak for something else as well. But I think if you look, you know, we make multiple six figures just from email monthly. So like.
0: Yeah, if you're not using Clavio. You're not my friend. Just kidding. I have one friend who's not using Clavio. You're still my friend. <laughs> so funny. I mean,
1: I think there are other levels, too. Like, once you get to, like, the millions a month in, in revenue from email, I believe there's another, like, platform. But most people don't even hit that. So, I think, I don't know what it is yet, but I know we're looking into it.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's those, like, enterprise level. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, Klav- I, I feel like Clavio can it, – it's, it's good. For everybody who's listening to this, again, Clavio uh that's great Uh, do you have a favorite podcast that you're listening to
1: oh um let me think so right now we're listening to Tim Ferriss's um on my walk every morning
0: oh that's great Uh, Tim Ferriss what a great just such a good guy
1: he is he is but I also listen to Side Hustle Pro regularly um it's more like a um like a black female startup podcast.
0: Okay, um, cool. cool,
1: And I literally just played Michelle Obama's like before we had
0: our co-op. Oh, is it, is it good? I, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, I gotta subscribe to that.
1: I only listened to the first like five minutes. I haven't gotten into it yet, but I did read her book Becoming and I saw her Netflix show and stuff like that. So those are the things I've been listening to.
0: Yeah, uh, that's great. And do you have a founder that you look up to?
1: Ooh, I have a few. Uh, um From uh, Sassy Jones Boutique. Oh, sorry, um,
0: say, say that again. You cut out for a second.
1: Therese Jones from Sassy
0: Jones. Oh, please,
1: Jones, okay. Um, Nicole Brown from Izzy and Liv. These are very like e-commerce, like my peers, but like they're killing it. So like, oh, cool. I, I love what they're doing. I think Izzy and Liv. She was just saying how she surpassed, you know, the few years that she's been in business, um, over twenty million in revenue, like wow. not including but overall in her lifetime her business. Okay. Like,
0: okay. Cool.
1: That's, that's super cool to me. Um, so yeah, they're killing it. And I think Sassy Jones. She just had her first million dollar month that was not like a Shark Tank thing, right? It was like, generated. Um, And she does like these HSN type uh, Instagram, Facebook lives or whatever. Um, Oh, cool. I think you guys will benefit from that for sure. Uh, Especially the fashion company. She's, she is a fashion company and it's amazing.
0: That's cool. I've, I don't even know if I've like heard of that tactic. (laughs) Doing something like that. That's a great idea.
1: She's the reason we do our Washington Wednesdays or we do here live every Wednesday. And we invite into our studio, she's the very reason we do that because she literally, she kills it, she kills it.
0: Yeah, I I joke um, with my guests, but it's not really a joke that I just invite people on, like literally just for free consulting. I'm like, oh, now that's a good idea. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, Uh, It's great. Um, Where can people find out more about you, Kim?
1: uh, You can follow me on Instagram at Kim and Tim Lewis, A-N-D, it's me and my husband. Um, But you can find my company at Chromex.com. Uh, on Instagram. I'm sorry, on web, our website. And then you can follow us on Instagram at CurlMix.
0: Cool, cool. And are you sharing lots of content on LinkedIn? I think that's where we connected.
1: Am I sharing what? I'm sorry?
0: Uh, good content on LinkedIn.
1: I, yeah, I mean, I have some stuff. I don't post a lot regularly. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be doing personally, right? Do I want a YouTube channel? Do I want... Yeah. I have a website, but it's mostly for people to book consultations at Kim and Tim okay. Um But I don't do any founder content yet. That That's not related to like hair. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. And I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. That what I want that to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think personal branding is one of those spaces I don't really know a lot about. And, um, but I think it's really important for founders, especially as they, um, as their company grows and grows and grows and yeah. So, agreed,
1: agreed.
0: Yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much for your time. This is, uh, yeah, this is amazing. Really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. This is awesome.